Hey, welcome. Glad you are here as we continue our values series. And I woke up this morning and uh, caught the news and my heart was just breaking. Another tragedy, another shooting uh, in Indianapolis um, this week. Um, Dante Wright, Adam Toledo, and um, more violence done to black and brown bodies. And this morning I was just left reflecting, how do we adequately uh, address these um, tragic and disturbing events as, um, as we've witnessed over the last week? The sin, uh, the injustice, and the violence. And um, I don't know exactly. And the best thing I could think of was um, some time to, um, to be present and to just be. Um, to come to these realities and then a, a prayer of lament. And so um, I'm going to get into the message. I even thought about deviating away from it, I, but I, I do feel as though what we're going to talk about today um, can add value to this conversation. Um, so I want to just take a minute to be silent and then I'll pray a prayer of lament. Pray this prayer. God, our hearts are broken and we find ourselves grieved and frustrated, angry and afraid. How long, O oh Lord, will we disregard the sanctity and the value of those made in your image? How long, O oh Lord, will we push aside the vulnerable, oppressed and marginalized? How long, O oh Lord, will violence continue and nothing change? We lament and confess our rationalizations for silence, bias, and complicity. We lament and confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart and soul and mind and strength and our neighbor as ourself. In our weakness and in our pain, we bring ourselves to you, our hope. Would you comfort those who mourn today? And God, would you bring justice and mercy to those who need it? And remind us today your goodness despite our world's brokenness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, uh, one note before we uh, get into today. Um, last week, we um, talked about this idea of hospitality as our first value, uh, welcoming the stranger, expanding our circles, and we're talking about the creation of space for others to come and to feel uh, openness and uh, grace. And as we move into today, the transition into this next value, this idea of identity formation, I want to acknowledge, and we'll really speak more to this today, I want to acknowledge that this call to follow Jesus and the obedience to uh, the ways and the practices of Jesus can almost feel like it's intention with this idea of openness and welcoming. Um, I, and I don't really feel as though that's the case fully, but I, I wanna bring that up as a way of examining um, this scripture in a way that's authentic. In the Gospels, people were regularly approaching Jesus and they were asking this question, what must I do? And in effect, he responded to them, tell me who you are and I'll tell you what you must do. And I think a lot of us actually, we approach faith in this way. We're constantly asking, what must I do? Even from a, a spiritual or a practical sense. Uh, John Calvin put it this way. He says, without the knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. And what we're doing here is we're talking about this idea of our identities, who we are. Now, the Bible, by and large, is about this idea of identity, corporate and individual. It's telling a story from beginning to end about its main character, 
God. And as you push into the New Testament, we're getting information about the life, the work, and the identity of its main character, Jesus, and thereby we get um, the identity of humans and what our identity should be. And so I don't think that it's an understatement to say that the Bible is about identity formation. And you might be asking, well, what are you trying to say when you uh, speak about identity formation? Well, let's take this first word, identity, right? I would say identity is the sum of our being. It's everything about us that gives us a sense of who we are as people. It frames our actions. It gives us a way or a lens of seeing the world and how to live in relationship with other people. And essentially what we have swirling around in our world uh, is rival definitions of how we gain a complete sense of our identity. I recently read a book which I would highly recommend. It's called Who God Says You Are by Klein Snodgrass. And in his book, he's giving an overview of our identity as, um, as humans. And I love how holistic he is. And these are actually the nine chapters of his book. Spoiler alert here. Um, and this is what he says. He says, and I'll kind of give a quicker overview. Um, he says, you are your body. And um, so we assume this in some ways, but our bodies actually determine so much about us, our gender, our race, our health, our metabolism, our attitudes, our drive. He says, you are your history. And so we live in history, right? In, in a time and in a place. Um, and then we have an individual history of experiences and actions and traumas and events that connect us to a larger story to who we are. You are your relations. And so we are people in relationship with other people. We have roles in our life, right? Sons, daughters, cousins, aunt, grandfathers, parents, and these things shape our identity. You are your mind. To be a human is to think, right? To remember, to evaluate, and to choose. You are your commitments. Life consists of making and rejecting responsibilities. You are your actions, right? If we have an identity, we do something about that and we act regularly and that shapes us. You are your boundaries. And so part of identity is actually understanding what and who we are and then what and who we are not, right? We can look at other people and say, I am me, I am not you. And so we're our boundaries. You are an ongoing process of change. And so we grow, we move, we have new experiences, new successes, new failures, and we adapt. Life happens to us. And then lastly, you are your future. And so we live life forward, right? Life is a journey towards some future. Now, I know that's a, that's a lot to think about and hopefully you're beginning to make connections about who you are as a person, um, but all of these shape who you are in the present and then taken in as a whole, you're actually getting an idea of who you are. Maybe you're even beginning to think of experiences, things that have happened to you and how that shaped you as a person uh, today. Maybe you're thinking about your mind, the way that your mind um, was shaped in uh, through schooling or whatever it may be, and that's giving you a sense of who you are. But I wanna take that idea in to think about how that has been formed in you and what that has to do with today. And so what I want to do is I want to give us a picture. We'll, you, we'll talk about talk through this scripture that uh, Emily just read. Um, we'll talk about the secure and the whole identity of Jesus um, in, in this, this big picture that he gives us of our identity. We'll talk about the false selves that we often give ourselves to. And then we'll reimagine what it looks like to follow Jesus through this lens because I think it gives us a, a fresh way to look at um, following Jesus. And so to begin, uh, we'll look at Matthew chapter 3. 
And what's beginning to happen in this passage is Jesus comes to his cousin John to be baptized in the Jordan River. They begin to have a sort of tiff about if Jesus, if John should baptize uh, Jesus. John eventually consents, and here Jesus's identity is um, being secured and established. And this is what happens in verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Another translation says, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And I love this sort of mysterious um, Trinity moment, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Father speaking from heaven, uh, Spirit is descending like a dove on the person of Jesus. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Jesus here is identified as a son. He is empowered. He rests fully in his sonship. He's not insecure. He knows exactly who he is. He has a purpose and a mission. He has favor from his father. And he walks away from this baptism moment with purpose and a fatherly blessing. I'll never forget the day that I graduated college. My dad walked over to me. Um, He looked me right in the eyes and he said, I am so proud of you. And it was just like life to my soul. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that. And, and, and I was thinking about it. I'm, I'm sorry if you haven't had a moment like that. That's not right. With these moments in our life where we're, we're filled up, where I, our, our identity feels like it's actually taking uh, shape, a sense of who we are is secured and we are secure. And what's important to understand here is that Jesus hasn't actually done anything yet. Jesus hasn't done anything yet. His ministry hasn't started. He hasn't fed the hungry. He hasn't clothed uh, the naked. He hasn't confronted evil. He hasn't gone to the cross. Jesus has done nothing to earn his sense of self-worth. And yet his father looks at him and says, this is my dearly loved son with whom I'm well pleased. And this illuminates something crucial about um, Christianity, about following Jesus. Identity in Christianity is not achieved, but it's received. And this is, this is crucial. Jesus receives a stable sense of self-worth and then he goes and he obeys the Father. But it's never the other way around where he does these things to obey the Father and then gets a sense of identity. Jesus walks away from this moment completely secure in how his Father loves him. And then immediately after his baptism, Jesus is transitioned. He's led by the Spirit out into the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights of fasting in the wilderness. And the tempter, the devil, came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And so the tempter uh, is appealing to Jesus's uh, hungry and failing flesh. He essentially says, use your divinity for your humanity. I know you are hungry. 40 days of fasting. I I know if we were honest, we would be like, if we could, we would be like raining down avocado toast um, to eat in that moment. I know I would be, but not Jesus. Jesus in verse four says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, that's not for me. And then in verse five, 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What's the temptation here? The devil's saying, will God really take care of you? Does God really have your best interest in mind? And what the devil is, is trying to do here is he's trying to get him to question, right? What, is he, what, did he, what does he repeat? If you are the son of God, well, what was Jesus just told by the father? Up out of the water, this is my beloved son. Do you see it? The devil wants Jesus to lose his certainty right? The assurance of his fatherly blessing towards him. He wants Jesus to doubt God's love and acceptance for him. In other words, don't listen to the voice. Don't trust grace. Prove it. Earn it. Don't believe your father. Make it happen. You can do this by yourself. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I, no way. I'm perfectly grounded in relationship with my father. I know who I am. I'm whole. I'm secure. And because Jesus is perfectly settled in and of himself, he can resist the temptations to live out of a false self. He doesn't need to give in to the false self of power, right? To, to turn the stones into bread, to prestige, right? To, to, to the possessions of the kingdom. And these are the constant pulls of our culture, this, this false self. And I wanna be, I wanna be gentle here, but I, I also wanna be honest. A lot of us don't know who we are or what we are doing, and so we give in to these false selves, right? The, the idea of possessions. I am what I have. And so a lot of us say, well, I, my identity is based on what I have. I guess we don't say it you know, openly, but we say I leverage my possessions for status or security. I'll hold out the things that I have of value so that other people might see me as valuable. Or I am what I can do. Right? This is a question of power. When we meet someone, the, the first and primary question that we ask them is, what do you do for a living? And back to, back to our passage, right? Jesus has done nothing, comes up out of the water, and he receives this fatherly blessing. Or uh, lastly, what, I am what other people say about me, this idea of prestige. And for so many of us, we are so consumed with how others perceive us, it's exhausting. But here's the thing is, I'm, I'm not actually here um, to beat you over the head with these ideas. I, I, I think a lot of this, this idea of identity formation was actually um, built into us, right? Somewhere along the way, something or someone in our life uh, came along and, and um, told our true self that it wasn't welcomed, safe, or wanted. And so we actually learned through a process to hide the true self, and we constructed that idea of a false self. And our false self is actually just a, a cobbled together identity, and it's like, here, look at what I made, I'm just gonna present this to you. But it's all secondary things, right? Reputation, success, status, family, jobs, money, health, and it's just beginning to crumble, right? David Brenner writes a book um, called the, the Gift of Being Yourself, and he draws the difference between the false self and the true self, and I think these features are really important to examine. 
He says the false self, this is what we just walked through, gains security and significance. It's achieved by what we have, what we can do, and what others think of us. While the true self, security and significance is achieved by being deeply loved by God. The false self, happiness is sought in autonomy from God and in attachments. In the true self, fulfillment is found in surrender to God and living our vocation. In the false self, identity is our idealized self, who we want others to think that we are, when the true self is who we are and becoming in Christ. The false self is achieved by means of pretense and practice, while the true self is received as a gift with gratitude and surrender. The false self is maintained by effort and control, while the true self is maintained completely by grace. The false self embraces illusion as a means of attempting to become a god, while the true self embraces reality as the place of meaning and being transformed by God. And so we're in a bit of a dichotomy because we're constantly presenting this false self, which is why I say for a lot of us, um, we don't really know who we are. And so we actually have to transition then, if that's like this identity that we're constructing, what does that have to do with our formation as people? And I wanna give you an example to sort of chase down this idea. And we'll use this idea of, uh, I am what I have. Uh, a couple of years ago, it would have been uh, 2017, um, I had a friend come to me and say, you should get into Bitcoin. Um, and some more people told me about it. I was like, fine, I, I don't, I'll just throw some money in there. I was skeptical, but I was like, whatever. It, it's going to sit in my bank account or it's going to sit here. And so uh, not much happened. I was like, guys, this is, this is stupid. Like this has, I don't want anything to do with this. And um, one day the price of Bitcoin began to like really go up. And it was like a, a month or two later. I can't remember when it was. And um, here I am watching this like investment that I made a double. And then I saw triple and I'm like, this is the greatest moment of my life, right? And it would be truly, it would be an, uh, an understatement to say that I was obsessed. I'm checking my phone um, compulsively, hourly, like every 20 minutes I'm checking my phone. I'm texting people about this. I had told other people that I got into it. And so other people are texting me like, how do I do this? How do I get in? Is this safe? I'm like, I have no idea anything about this, right? What did it do? It began to take up my time. I was obsessed and over a period of time I, I, I like I knew I had to delete this app I'm looking at this way too much I care and all of a sudden this idea of money begins consuming me and what was it doing it was actually forming me into a person who cared deeply about money and growing this investment and what could I do if it doubled tripled more whatever whatever it was and then I just deleted the app and then I just left it there I look at it occasionally the confession the great reformer Martin Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. And for many of us, we're actually passive when it comes to our identity formation. We just say, well, yeah, like if that, just, if that, if that feels good, right, I'll go with that. But the truth is, is we are actually all being deeply shaped and formed by things that are coming our way. We might just not be as thoughtful about it. Uh, David Foster Wallace gave an address at uh, Kenyon College. He said, everybody worships. This is regardless of what you believe. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. 
worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. I love this. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. We all hold something, whether that's ourselves, a relationship, a hobby, uh, an income, an education. We hold something, or I should say, it has the deep-seated affection of our heart. And that is the thing that we long for. And we have been formed into its likeness or its image. And what I'm saying is we shouldn't be passive about this, but we should recognize that we are being shaped towards that end. And we're being sold narratives of this constantly via the news, social media, conversations with others, and they are not benign. They are telling or selling a story, a truth claim. And so what does all of this idea have to do with us, this idea, this value of identity formation? And I always want to, you know, when I'm reading a text, I always want to find the application in the text. You know, what is the invitation for us? What is the challenge for us? And as the passage continues, uh, Jesus, uh, Emily didn't read this part, but um, Jesus is baptized, right? He's sent out into the wilderness, and then his public ministry begins. And uh, look what happens next in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus says, follow me. And as we read uh, the rest of the New Testament, we actually see that that is the invitation from Jesus to follow him, um, to, to be his disciple. And a lot of people have made uh, being a disciple to mean um, to accept Jesus into your heart and then uh, to move on and to, to move forward, to go listen to some sermons. Hopefully they make your life a little bit better. I, I heard a great phrase last week. It was called... Um, a vampire Christian. Now they say something like, Jesus, I'd like a little bit of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or to have your character. But see, Jesus is not an accessory that we put on like a watch. Or some of us have actually made um, being a disciple like this intellectual endeavor, endeavor where we're like just trying to gain as much information as possible. But I, I think that's where we got it. We've gotten it so wrong. Faith is not just about believing stuff. Biblical faith is about being attached to Jesus, being bound to him, participating in his life, and then having your identity transform because you've been attached to Jesus. And so in some ways, the, the most basic question should become, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it really mean to be a disciple of Jesus? I find Dallas Willard helpful here. He says, we can become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by, or by practicing the type of activities he engaged in, by arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in fellowship with the Father. And so the, the aim here actually becomes attaching ourselves to Christ, to be devoted to him and to embrace the lifestyle that he chose for himself. What do we call this? The, the, the church word for this is um, discipleship, to be uh, formed or shaped into the likeness of Jesus. 
to be formed or shaped into the likeness of Jesus. This is why um, Paul later uh, in, in one of his epistles in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, right? Mimic me as I mimic Christ. Uh, shortly after I uh, became a Christian, I was uh, immersed in practices and, and rhythms that, that did exactly what these verses are talking about that actually taught me how to live like Christ. And um, one of the key ways that I learned about Jesus was a Friday morning, 6 a.m. Um, for three years, every Friday morning at 6 a.m. at McDonald's. And so we would gather uh, almost every week, sophomore, junior, and senior year of high school, Friday mornings, and we would get together we would talk about our weeks. Um, we would just share how our lives were going uh, generally. And we would study uh, the scriptures. Sometimes we would study a book or some apologetics. And um, we would pray together. And we would meet um, every week for an hour and a half. And it was this regular rhythm, this practice of trying to look and examine at the way Jesus lived. Embrace that as a way of life. And then go and actually try and live like Jesus, that shaped me as a follower of Jesus because I was immersed in these practices. And as a growing church plant, I believe that this is central to who we are, this idea of identity formation, to really embrace Jesus's call on us, to follow him, to do the things that he did, to be like him in character and action. I don't wanna be a part of a church that talks about Jesus but looks and acts nothing like him. And here, here's the here's amazing thing about this. It's a bonus, it's a byproduct. But when, when Jesus offers that invitation to follow him, he's also uh, inviting us into the truest and most authentic version of ourselves because we can be fully ourselves. We don't have to come and to put up a, a bunch of um, false identities or this, these false selves, but we can just say, this is who I am, this is where I'm at. And our true self comes via the work and the person of Jesus. And so I just want to, as, as we wrap up today, I just, um, I just want to read this passage. It's about what it means to abide, to attach ourselves um, to Jesus, and may this give us um, a shape of who we might become. Jesus, in, uh, in, in John chapter 15, and verse 1 through 11, it says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be complete in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. And so, Father, I love you, and I pray that this would be deep, deeply meaningful to who we are as people, that we're um, questioning um, our sense of identity, who we are, who we should be 
and we're taking this in as a whole, God, would you, um, would you make this mean something to us? That we would not only be um, challenged and reflect on this, but that we might actually um, be formed more today into the likeness of your son, Jesus, by your spirit. And so give us everything that we need to do that today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, thank you so much um, for being here. The, the links are, for everything that we talked about today are uh, below. Uh, also, there's a link below for you to um, give generously. If you call Reunion um, your church home and you want to give back to, the, to what God is doing um, through us in the city, you can do that there, um, reunionnyc.com backslash give. Um, if you're just checking us out, please feel no compulsion um, to give. We believe that everything that we have, everything that we are, is a gift from God and that he invites us to respond to that um, by giving generously to his work in the city. And so um, as we wrap up, let me send you with a blessing. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he give you hope in a time of exhaustion. May the Holy Spirit give you fresh eyes to see yourself and your core identity. And may you be sent out to live as Jesus lived and to love as Jesus loved. Amen.